0: Two texts are not the ones I'm going to be preaching on, uh, but they're they're texts that I want to frame uh, our year. Uh, one is the only psalm that Moses wrote. Uh, Moses, it's called uh, a prayer of Moses, the man of God, Psalm 90. And in order to get this, okay, uh, from verses three through eleven, this is what humanity is by nature, and Moses. Moses reflects that as he writes under the inspiration of God. And then verses, really verses 13 to 17, the heart of the thing is verse 12, but verses 13 to 17, this is a cry to Moses for the, by Moses for the grace of God in Christ. And you'll hear how that's answered when we come to the New Testament reading. Psalm 90, Moses, who lived to be a hundred and... 20 years of age, probably writing this uh, toward the end of his life, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, Return. Rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yea, establish the work of our hands and as all scriptures are fulfilled in Christ, this one would be. Turn to page one thousand one hundred forty-three in your pew Bibles. This is First Corinthians chapter fifteen, and the last part of the Great Resurrection chapter, where, in a real sense, uh, you have the you have the answer to Moses' cry for grace. So, in First Corinthians chapter fifteen. beginning at verse 50 and to verse 58. Again, that's page 1143 in your pew Bibles. The answer to the prayer of Moses, the man of God. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, which means stop and think about this, I tell you a mystery, something we wouldn't know but God, until God reveals it. I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, that is, we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, my beloved brothers, and we would add sisters as well, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Amen and hallelujah. The grass does wither and the flowers do fade away. The word of our God stands forever. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful truth? To which you respond by saying, Hallelujah, and thanks be to God. Our Lord, we have come out of a year in which for many of us the soul, hell itself, has endeavored to shake. But we have come through these, and we will come through, because you say yourself, you will never, never, never forsake us. And we pray, our Lord, as we come to Psalms 42 and 43, which are about trial and tribulation and suffering in your grace, and we pray, our Lord, that we will have a, a framework for evaluating, for understanding, for by faith going into this new year of our Lord. We ask for the work of the Spirit now using your own word. Amen. 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 Please be seated. You'll want to turn to page 11 today, and you'll need your pew Bibles, pages 5, or if you bring your own Bible, but you can use that one, but uh, Psalms 42 and 43, pages 554 and 555. Forward to uh, God willing in this year, uh, Jen Greenberg's new book, "Defiant Joy," being published. I love that. I love that title, "Defiant Joy." Um, Jen is in a good position to write this. Her whole upbringing was an uh, upbringing of abuse, and uh, and horrible, horrible abuse that was never really addressed by the church, churches of which she was a part. And she's processed that through the gospel in, in wonderful ways. And, and 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 the title "Defiant Joy" is is, is the crystallization of um, of what she believes that response ought to be. Defiant joy. So I'm looking forward to reading the book, and God willing, this year she and her family can be with us. Of course, book autographing time. Anyway, I thought of that because today we are going to look at Psalms 42 and 43, and really their theme is exactly that: defiant joy. And, and, and the reason we're dealing with, with them together, as you look at your, in your Bibles, notice that there is what we call a superscription uh, to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah, which is significant. And there's a superscription there, as there is in the others of these psalms, in the second book of the Psalter, the book of Psalms. But there isn't a superscription in Psalm 43. Now, there are different psalms. There's actually a different tenor to Psalm 43. But they are also connected. And they're connected by uh, the refrain that's given three times, which really is kind of the heart and soul of the psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? There's There's that defiance. And here's the joy. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation... And my God, and just a little note of which you're going to have a lot today. Um, when, when, when um, Joseph is told, you shall, name, "You shall name his name Jesus," because he will save his people from their sins, it was probably an allusion to this text. Because my salvation is, if you want to call it, it's literally my Joshua or my Jesus, and and so. Jesus' name is linked in a particular way with the psalm as he will be in, in the preaching of it here. So Psalms 42 and 43, defiant joy. Why, why deal with this today? I want you to read the psalms, and there's help in, in the Haven Heart to Heart for you to do that. Um, I want you to meditate on the psalms. And what I'm going to do today, using a rather homely illustration in a moment from Charles Spurgeon, is give you material to meditate on in, under six heads in, in this psalm. But also, I want you folks to sing the psalms. Uh, through a gift, we were able to get a number of Trinity Psalter hymnals to fill up the, the, uh, the, the book racks, but I think there'll be some extras, and I'm sure the person who gave the money to buy those won't mind if, if some of you take them, so long as you use them. But I really do want you singing the psalms, and there's even an app that you can get that has the tune on. Anyway, the other reason for doing this Folks, Psalm 42 and 43 really is where we are in our church life. Uh, I've told a number of you, I have never, in all of my years of ministry, I don't r- remember ever dealing with such packages of suffering in so many forms with so many people over such a long period of time. And and I, there's a lot of reasons for that, I don't think it's just unique to the haven. I do think this is a time of peculiar satanic assault on God's people. Uh but this is where we are it 's what uh, we 're taught in seminary to call our sitzum laban our our setting in life. And our setting in life now is very much what the setting in life is for the author of the psalm, probably David. So for all those reasons, I want you to get a model of how to look at the psalms. Hopefully we'll be singing this as time goes on down the line. And just because this is where we are, we're going to take some time to deal with Psalms 42 and 43. And here's how we're going to do it. I'm going to do it in each of these points, the psalms, Okay, first of all, they are about the person who wrote them or the life situation um, of the one who wrote the psalm. So it, 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 that's called the Sitzim Laban again. That's the setting in life. And probably this is David in, in two significant areas of King David's life. I mean, this psalm is just fleshed out in him. So, so that's where you want to begin. But remember that Jesus opened up in all of the scriptures, and he highlights the Psalms, the things concerning himself. There are some exact prophecies of Christ coming fulfilled in the Psalms. There's, there's themes, as you'll see, that, whoa, are fulfilled in Christ. And, 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 and there's also concepts, particularly here suffering, that, that are crystallized in the life of Christ and folks, you've got to learn to see the Psalms that way. Don't don't go from the Psalm itself to you, or please don't just go to yourself, you know, at least find what, what the Psalms about in its setting. But always go through Christ, and then it's you in Christ, okay? Because in Christ, Jesus fulfilled these things. They're all related to you as well. And so it's gonna be a little bit kind of pedantic, I guess, but but in each one of these headings, we'll talk a little bit about David. Uh, who I assume wrote this, and then and then a little bit about Jesus, and then a little bit about yourself, and that should give you a, a model for dealing with these, okay? And notice the the title the title of uh of the of the message happy new year question mark i'll let you i'll let you answer it my spurgeon reference um in charles spurgeon's lectures to his students which are amazing spurgeon was of course the 19th century a baptist preacher and he he had a preacher's college and uh, lectures to his students are, are his lectures that are that are rich and funny and, and uh, just full of wisdom, but at one point he's speaking to preachers and he said there's going to, essentially he says this there's going to be times you really don't know exactly how to how to preach a text, and no matter how you work with it and and he said but but preach it anyway, just get big chunks of meat right off the butcher block and <laughs> give it to the people so these are big chunks of meat so to speak right off the butcher block for you Okay, and if I don't stop we'll never, we won't get beyond the introduction let's go to the, the psalm itself and note again this is wonderful this psalm has a silver lining around it even though it's largely about suffering it has a silver lining of grace and how do you know that? Notice in the superscription, it's to the choir master, a maskil, which was which was a, a, a teaching piece that was meant to be sung. Okay, and and it's to the choir master, a maskil of the sons of Korah. How is grace here? Now you go back to the book of, of Numbers, chapter sixteen. There's a whole chapter about the rebellion of Korah and his family, and it's a scary chapter uh, because Korah and at least the relatives and followers who were near him get swallowed up in God's judgment because they had opposed Moses. It's a, it's a very, it's a gripping chapter. But apparently not all of Korah's relatives had been killed, or at least some relatives that came down the line related to them. And they became the chief singers of Israel. God took a family that was identified with his wrath, and he identifies them in a special way with his grace and singing his praise. And there are many who believe, and I think there's truth in it, that one of the reasons why these songs that are here, the songs of Korah, are so rich is they never got away from the fact that it was only by God's amazing grace that they weren't destroyed with their family, and even in their suffering, they're full of praise. So it's a, it's a fascinating, fascinating... Okay, so the silver lining in here is is of grace. Now, let's look at this again. We're going to look at, at how this is David in his suffering. And King David, you know, if we read about King David and really what in the Scriptures is a relatively short time, was longer in fact, but in terms of what the Scriptures say... There's a whole lot more time given in the Book of Kings, the books of Kings and Chronicles, and Second Samuel as well about David's exiles, his exiles period plural, and then his reign. Uh, David David was opposed by King Saul, even though he would, because he was to be the next king in Israel. I mean, Saul tried to kill David. David had to flee and he had to flee to be among the enemies of God's people for protection. He was with the people who hated God, but he was there because that was the only place he could go. And so that was the first period, and then his son Absalom rebels against him, gets basically almost all of Israel to follow them. David is exiled, and his last words as he leaves Jerusalem from Shimei, the last words from Shimear, are cursing him. So, so David knew what this exile experience was. So did Jesus jesus you'll remember left the glory of heaven and we'll comment a little bit more on that i think an aspect of it we don't think of the glory of heaven to come to earth as an exile being among god's people who opposed him and who cursed him and who didn't just try to kill him they did so so you see in david and in jesus you, you see the, 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 the fulfillment of David in Jesus himself. Okay, so let's look at that. Here you go. Six big pieces of meat right off the butcher block for you. And, and they're the themes of Psalms 42 and 43. First, thirsting. As a deer pants. Picture a sweaty deer pants panting for water. He's dehydrated to some extent. Panting for flowing streams. So pants my soul for you, O God. Now notice in this psalm, we're going to go from my soul to my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and literally see the face of God? My tears Had been my food day and night. This is the only liquid that he gets, and it's salted liquid. His tears, his food, day and night, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? This is David, who loved the worship of God's people, and he's not even with them. He is exiled, and he is like that deer panting for waters. But it's not first the water. It's God. He wants he wants to be with his God. Remember Jesus is the one, as the God man who says, You come to me and out of you will flow rivers, rivers of living water. David desires that in his God, but do you see the contrast? He's longing like a dehydrated deer for the water of God. And he's in the midst of a situation where people say, where's your God? You're really the king of Israel, and you're among the Philistines? Where's your God? That, folks, is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ faced in its fulfillment. He left heaven. He left his place with his Father. And he comes to earth. And his longing is clearly for his Father as his prayers show. Lord, I long for the glory that I had with you before the worlds were made. And he's in the world. That is, even as it opposed David, it opposed him. And, and I can't get over. Remember that, that Jesus' words on the cross are, are kind of a super distillation of everything about his life I thirst I thirst as he takes the full meaning of being exiled from his God and where is your God this is the, the taunts you, you think of Christ who had the power to bring legions of angels and here the people taunt him, and it's the equivalent of where is your God? Matthew 27 and verse 43, the taunt of Jesus. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. But that's not all they say. If he desires him. The, the beloved with the Father from all eternity. Folks, love is the expression of the relation of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus enjoyed that for all eternity. It was inseparable from his being. And now he is the (coughs) one in exile, not only to be opposed by his own Father, but to be opposed as David was by masses of people. And how that must have hurt let God deliver him if he desires him you and Christ in this psalm we don't go what Jesus did but you know what your real longing for is if you're a genuine Christian it's not for your best life now it's for your best life in eternity in the presence of God And that, folks, will abide with you. It will not even be fulfilled when the the Lord separates your soul from your body and takes you in that disembodied state to be with Christ because you've got to have a body to be satisfied. That will come when Jesus comes back and you're raised from the dead body and soul. Only then will your thirst be fully quenched in God and that will be the case for all eternity. Until then... You're a genuine Christian in the face of a world that says, where's your God? You say, I long, I long for God himself. Okay, so, so you have this, this thirsting that is given in here. And, and, and that's, that's the first of the things. The second is a longing that comes, and it builds on the thirst. And it's just really in verse 4 of Psalm 42. These things I remember. I, I, I remember my my uh, all of these sorrows that I've had in my thirsting. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. It's not that he's been through them and he's just looking at the past, but but I think I think of this thirsting that I have for God, and isn't it a blessing? You can pour out your soul before God, I pour out my soul before God, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude, notice the language, we'll come back to it in a moment, keeping festival. What's David talking about? was a big test in our culture when churches were not permitted to meet. And frankly, many professed Christians didn't give a tinker's damn. They were glad to be able to be home in their pajamas and maybe live stream once in a while. They really didn't miss it. If you don't miss... Being with God in worship, there's something very wrong with your heart. David, with all of his challenges, with all of his agonies, with all of his thirstings, David had a way of quenching that thirst by the gathering together. And this is an exciting language that's here the throng of people, the great multitude of people going. And they're in a procession. They're all in an orderly way going where God dwells, to the house of God. And I remind you that that's what Paul says the church is. It's the house of God, the church of the living God. And and, and there's exuberance here. It's not just song shouts. It's glad shouts and songs of praise. This is worship. A multitude in festive assembly, now david doesn't have this he is in exile and they don't do this among the philistines what did jesus leave from heaven the writer of hebrews speaks of something that has been true from the time the lord began to take the souls of his elect people up to glory In Hebrews chapter 12, it speaks of a a place of blood that would speak better things than the blood of Abel, a place of the spirits of just people made perfect in glory. And that ranks, of course, increased over the years as more and more of the elect ones. Jesus hadn't come to the world yet, but he would surely come for them, and they're in glory. And they are gathered there, and the general assembly of the firstborn in what's called, as in this text, a festive assembly. Jesus was part of that in glory. But he had to come to earth in order to do what was necessary so that the salvation, even of those who died before, could be secured as well as our own. And Jesus didn't have that. Jesus had, at best, his 12 and others that followed him and synagogue worship that, frankly, was dead as a doornail other than when Jesus taught. So here in this text is the longing of David and of Jesus. What about you? Do you just think of going to church? Or do you realize God calls his people to worship God promises to be present with his people in worship. God God works so that we are energized in him as David was. And people can miss worship. So this is is a longing that David has and Jesus had as well. Do you have it? See, again, I really believe the lockdown was another one of God's tests in a culture that, quite frankly, is pretty bankrupt spiritually. Do you desire worship? Worship is wonderful. Yeah, okay, I get tired. We all do, I realize that. And our faith grows dim. But charge yourself every day with the wonderful, pour out your soul, because we're not prohibited from of the procession to the house of God. We're not prohibited from the glad shouts and songs of praise and even a a new piano to help us with that. You have it, and folks, you need it because these things are connected. The way to begin to quench your thirst is by being in the presence of God and worship and with his people. So there's, there's longing that's here. And then there's suffering, and that's the heart of this psalm verses, in in verses 5 through 10, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? And of course, that's, and he repeats it. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. He's away, and, and these mountains that he sees here remind him of the mountain on which Jerusalem was built, but he's not there. And now David speaks about with the language of death. This is the language Jonah would use when he's, in the, when he's in the belly of the great fish. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Notice that they're gods. David's exiles did not happen by chance or because God missed a beat God had his purpose to have a suffering servant in David and his breakers and his ways went over him. David comforts himself. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. It's the language of Mordecai in the book of Esther. Mordecai finds out that there's an edict for the destruction of the Jews, and he mourns, he changes his garments, and he mourns publicly. And that's the language that's used here in the psalm, probably picked up by the author of Esther. The oppression of the enemy is with a deadly wound in my bones my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long where is your god i think it's impossible to translate the deadly wound in my bones it's the language of being crushed inside as once again he endures the taunts of where is your god saul after him in the midst of the philistines his son absalom against him most of Israel that he had governed so well against him Shimei against him against him against him and it's, it's, it's as if David would say it would, probably better that I was dead than to have to go through these breakers and waves all of that suffering well that pales in comparison to Jesus life in which his whole life was suffering Remember that from the time of his birth, Herod wanted to put those children to death. He had to go to exile in Egypt. And for a while he had to be, as it were, relatively exiled in Galilee of the Gentiles because of the remaining opposition. And then from the time of his public ministry, whether it be by the devil or by the religious leaders or wherever Jesus is opposed, his whole life is opposition. And this... David says, as he speaks, it's as if he has been abandoned by God. Why have you forgotten me? I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Don't, don't you hear Jesus? Yes. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? his whole life, a life of suffering and then the glory that would come, but the heart of it is suffering. And you, in this psalm, through much tribulation, we must enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. Happy New Year or not? That's true of this year. Mm -hmm. I've come not, Jesus said, to bring peace, but a sword. Now, he does bring peace. But the other side of it is there always going to be the battle between the seed of the woman, ultimately Christ and his people, and the seed of the serpent. Refiners fire to purge away the dross, predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That, that's not a, a text that you throw out to defend election, as others you can do with it predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ that he might be the firstborn among many brethren means you and I are predestined to suffering. God had one son without sin, but he has no children without suffering. And even, see if you can relate to this, a man's foes will be those of his own household. That was Jesus' life, folks. His own household opposed him. And, and and so you see the suffering of David and of Jesus and yourself in here. Here's the consolation, though, because Jesus was forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me or forgotten, as it says here? You're never forsaken. You're never forsaken. We'll come back to that. And also, there's no punishment in those breakers and waves because the Lord absorbed that. Okay, so there's the suffering that comes Come to chapter 43, and it's a little different tenor to this, which is why it's a different psalm, even though they're connected. Because Psalm 43 is about praying. And haven't we learned that as a haven? Pray, 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 and when you're done, pray some more. And you say, why is it? We go through all this affliction and challenge and suffering every week. There's something new. It's so that we'll pray. And that's what psalmist does in Psalm 43. Vindicate me. Oh, God, Lord, take up my case. Be my lawyer. My case is right according to your word. Please take it up. And he doesn't say, defend me. But Lord, honor your justice by doing what is right. And defend my cause against an ungodly people. Folks, God knows the opposition that his people face in the world. But not only that, it's this very strong language. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. The language is the language of treachery and all kinds of evil. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected I me? Mean, now, I hadn't rejected him. But you feel that way, don't you? Why do I go about mourning the same language? Because of the oppression of my enemy. He goes back to that as we do And here's the prayer, "'Send out your light and your truth. "'Let them lead me, let them bring me "'to your holy hill and to your dwelling. "'Then I will go to the altar of God, "'to God my exceeding joy, "'and I will praise you with the lyre.'" He is praying as David would pray. David would pray, not first that he'd be delivered, but that the Lord would honor his cause, and that once again he would be able to be back with the Lord's people. And this language, send out your light and your truth and let them lead people to, as it were, the life of what a saved person has. Isn't that exactly what Jesus does? He is the light of the world. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And his work is to see all of that go out. At the heart of that is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Your light... And your truth in Jesus Christ and in you yourself, where you say, Lord, please lead me to worship as a place of refuge, because that's what it is. Again, David, David asks for a vindication, he asks that he be delivered, but there's an oasis for him. And that oasis is once again worship. I will go to the altar of God, to God. My, not my, just my joy, it's literally my joy of joys, my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with a liar, oh God, but we have a liar in here, it's just horizontal instead of vertical. Why does he say that? Because, folks, you have to have praise to absorb your depression, you have to have getting caught up in God to supplant your being caught up in your trials. And that's what worship's about, or at least what it ought to be about. And so David longs for that, and of course, ultimately for new heavens and the new earth. And then number five and six will just be brief with them, but they're so rich, and they are encased in verse five and verse in chapter forty-two, verse eleven, chapter forty-two, and verse five in Psalm forty-three. And it's the refrain. Why? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Now, the word turmoil is the language of, of it's the language of being exceedingly vexed. And when you read in the Gospels of Jesus being deeply distressed, it's this language my soul in turmoil within me. But he is hoping, hope in God, for I shall again, I shall yet praise him, my salvation and my God. Notice, and that's true of, of David and of Jesus and of you. Don't you pray this so often? How often i read it to people who are discouraged and, and they say, I don't, I don't think I'll ever get the joy of my salvation back. I just lost my spouse. I just lost my parent. I just lost a child. I just nearly lost my life. Why are you cast down, O my soul? He's talking to himself, and that's a good thing to do. I have a little sign that says, The reason I talk to myself is sometimes I want good advice. (laughs) How's that for hubris? It's a good thing to talk to yourself. It's what the psalmist says. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? But see how honest you can be with God. Again, the Lord Jesus, as he prays, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he doesn't end there. Here's the hope. Hope in God, for I shall, yet I will again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, do now, you see the very earthly and very heavenly side of your faith? The earthly side is this. You're cast down. Be honest about it. And you're in turmoil. You don't know what to do. You're all churned up inside. And folks, that's part and parcel of being in a world that's under the curse, that's groaning like a woman getting ready to give birth to a child, and there's those labor pains that there, and you share in them, you're part of them, you are cast down and in turmoil. And yet at the same time, there's the heavenly part of it. Hope in God, for I will again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. And that's the that's the heavenly side of it. And that brings us to what really is number six in this whole thing. It's resting hope in God. For I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. That's the very heavenly side to the very earthly side. David prayed that he would be restored to the land. And you pray that you will be able... To be with the Lord in glory. Jesus, into your hands, I commend my spirit. And even this day, you will be with me in paradise. With all of that suffering, with all of that longing, with all of that thirsting, our Lord Jesus was always, had a confident hope into your hands. I commend my spirit. And I'll be in paradise. And so will you with all of this. And that's, that's the resting that is here. And now, folks, that comes by faith. Yeah, you hope in God, and you have by faith, you know, I'm going to continue to praise Him, I'll yet praise Him. And that'll never end. The older you get, sometimes a little more difficult to praise. You're hurt, you're tired, you're aching. You want to rest. You will, and you'll still be praising the Lord perfectly. I'll yet praise him. And notice what laces both of these psalms. Martin Luther, the great reformer, put it this way. True religion, he said, is a religion of personal pronouns. What did he mean? Anybody can confess the Apostles' Creed and use the words. The demons can do it. A genuine Christian doesn't just speak of God. He's my God. That's the essence of this thing we call covenant. God in his covenant engages himself to you, and you in response receive him and marry him, as we so often say, and you're one. And how does that express itself let's go back again over the psalms 42 and 43 now notice the psalm the psalmist speaks about his soul to be sure but in verse 5 god is my salvation he is my god verse 8 of psalm 42 he is the god of my life he's the god without whom i have no life and he's not only that he is my rock He is my fortress, and he is my salvation and my God. In Psalm 43, in verse 2, you are the God in whom I take refuge. And you, in verse 4, notice how this builds. You are God, my exceeding joy. So that the emphasis changes at the end of verse 43, not so much on why are you cast down, O oh my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? But the crescendo of all of that, hope in God. Mm-hmm. I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance in my God. Is that your religion? Mm-hmm. True religion, religion of personal pronouns, you're my God. In my believing you, and resting you, and trusting in you, and being one flesh with you, everything, O oh God, about you, that's why it's so wonderfully he's revealed himself in the scriptures and supremely in Christ. It's mine. And that's where the psalmist goes, okay? Because that's where he's going to be for all eternity. And worship is his halfway house here. Okay? So it's a beautiful psalm with those those themes, again the big big pieces off the butcher brought thirsting and longing and suffering and praying and hoping and resting. And go back to the three refrains. Okay, that's the heart of each of these. There's a before I was before I was converted. Even when I was an, an atheist, to which I say to my shame, I, I could never buy uh, the theory of macro evolution. Which, which, really, folks, especially given the complexity of a single cell, come on, things don't evolve from the simple to the complex. But that's that's not the point. And there were two things that always made me even as an atheist say that evolution can't be true. One were fish. The colors of them, the varieties of them, the way you know, the way they glow some of them. Know, it, if it were evolution, they would all begin to look kind of alike, but they don't. They're very different. And the other were birds, which is a whole other story. How how on earth can you imagine over over billions of years reptiles began to develop feathers, but they couldn't really fly. And so they died for millions and millions and millions of years until eventually they began to develop more feathers and they learned how to fly. Hello? Come on, give me fairy tales. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Why do I say that about fish? I love the fish, the anableps. They're not up here. They are really like southern part of Mexico, South America area, warmer waters They're really kind of a kind of a scary-looking fish. They can get relatively long for a fish, but the anableps. Anableps means means repeated seeing. Okay, repeated seeing anableps because the anableps has really has four eyes. Really has two, but the two eyes are are function. The the two eyes function each as two. Okay, so they do call them the four-eyed fish, and. And the anableps, the anableps swims over the top of the water, and one set of eyes looks down because there's food that's down there that the anableps, which is kind of a capacious eater, uh, looks for. But the other looks up to protect itself from predators like birds who love to eat an anableps. Okay, that, that didn't evolve like that. Like that. Okay. But I'm fascinated with the anableps because in a real sense, that's what Christians are. Mm -hmm. We're meant to have two sets of eyes. One, you do look to the earth. My soul, why are you in turmoil within me when people say all day long, where is your God? And I live in a world in which all of your waves and your billows go over me, and I know you're sovereign over them. It doesn't make it pleasant. That's the set of eyes that looks down. The other set of eyes looks up. Not just at things that would be dangerous, but you look up at God, hope in God, For I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. This is what's neat with the antipleps. The bigger set of eyes are the ones that look up. And that's what you need to be as a Christian. The bigger set of eyes doesn't look to this earth. Sorry, Joel Osteen, it ain't your best life now. Come on. That's a counterfeit of the gospel if i have ever heard one. Set your affections on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God the Father. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Which being translated is, hope in God. For I'll yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we bless you for these psalms. What a, what a rich way for us to come into this new year. Because these really are the themes of every day of our lives, some more than others. But, Lord, we do thirst for you. And, and we, do, we do long to be in your presence. And we love the means of grace, but they're a halfway house. We long for the house of God in glory. And, our Lord, there is suffering. And we don't avoid that, can't avoid it, not meant to avoid it. But there's also praying. And there is, there is hoping and resting in you. That's, that's, the, that's the big one here, hope in God, rest in God, because we'll yet praise you, the help of our countenance and our God. And so, Lord, make, make these things to be the, the nourishment of our souls every day. And may we, in all of the scriptures, but especially in the Psalms, uh, may we have the liberty to certainly to understand the sitzim laban, the situation in life. But then to realize these things always point us forward to Christ in his sufferings and his glory. And Lord, we would never think about Christ. We really are Christians. We would never think about Christ without thinking about ourselves in him and knowing that all of these experiences are not only his but ours in him, but that all the curse is taken away. God, make us anableps Christians so that with honesty we look at the world that we're in, and yet at the same time with even bigger eyes, so to speak, may we keep looking to Christ who is above, and our Lord, might you hasten the day of your return in glory. And there will be the fullness of worshiping you in festal assembly with all of your redeemed people never, ever, ever, ever again to say, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hasten that day for Jesus' sake. Amen. <coughs>